Did anyone else's heart rate go up a little bit in that first reading? <laughs> Noticed about half the choir sort of craned around to look at me. So I feel like we should offer a disclaimer. The opinions expressed in this reading are those of the writer of Ephesians and not those of St. John's Church or any affiliated ushers, acolytes, choir members, people pouring coffee at coffee hour. As I mentioned earlier, this is the Mary month of May. So for the next four weeks, we'll celebrate Mary, the mother of God, and the contributions of all women. During this month, we choose music composed by women, prayers written by women, and biblical texts about women. We're not doing this in some sort of half-hearted effort to be PC. We take this time to lift up the voices and contributions of women because we believe that doing so helps us to see God more fully. There are things to be learned about the spiritual life that we can only learn from listening in an intentional and focused way to what women have to say. And since we're considering the role of women this month, I decided we should just dive in and consider one of the more disturbing texts about women in the New Testament, this passage from the letter to the Ephesians, probably written toward the end of the first century to Christians in what would be modern day Turkey. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. This is the beginning of a section of Ephesians that describes proper behavior for pairs of people with unequal power within a household. The section we read talks about husbands and wives, but the text goes on to talk about slaves and masters, parents and children. The less powerful person is always told to be subject to the more powerful one. Women should be subject to men, children to parents, slaves to masters, and the more powerful partner should use his or her power in the service of the person with less power. Sort of stark and upsetting to see these things written out in black and white in the scriptures that we value. So what do we do with this text and other texts like it? I think to answer that question, it's worth looking at the text in its original setting. The Roman takeover of Palestine, where Jesus lived, had led to a severe restriction of the freedoms of women. In Jewish law, there were marriage contracts. Women went into a marriage with property, with a set of rights. If you have Jewish friends, they often have a framed copy of that contract on their walls. It's a tradition that still continues. But then the Romans took over. And in Roman law, the head of the household, this is where we get the, the phrase pater familias, the head of the household had near total power over everyone in his family, which included wife, children, slaves, and employees. He decided whether or not they could leave the house, what they did every day, and he had a right to kill any member of the household with impunity. And then into that context comes Jesus. Jesus treated women as peers, He's recorded talking theology with them, giving them responsibility in the community. His most loyal followers were women. Evidence suggests that his ministry was actually funded by women. 
Some historians have argued that Christianity spread through the Roman Empire largely through the conversion of women who then went on to spread the faith to their whole households. And so in the first and second centuries, when the Roman Empire looked at the church, they saw a dangerous and subversive institution that was a threat to the Roman family. One early Roman writer complained that male and female Christians met as equals in the same room, drank wine, and kissed each other. In other words, they had Eucharist and they passed the peace, but when you describe it that way, it sounds much worse. <laughs> so from the outside, the early church looked scandalous. And eventually the empire began to discriminate against Christians, and in some cases, real persecution began. And so we find the writer of Ephesians in a tough situation. He wants to be faithful to the example and the teaching of Jesus, and he also wants Christians not to scandalize the people around them. He wants them to be accepted, yes, so that they can convert people, but mostly because he wants them to blend in so that they don't bring the empire down on their own heads. He's trying to protect them. And so we see him doing a very careful sort of tightrope walk. He's trying to make the wild and wonderful equality of the early church fit within a strict male-dominated hierarchy in the Roman world. And he's doing it with the best of intentions for the good of the community. And if you read the text carefully, you can see that sort of push and pull that he's dealing with. Women, be subject to your husbands, he says. But then he tells husbands not to act like Roman fathers, to use their power with love. There are all kinds of Roman household codes like the one we see in Ephesians that are written by pagan non-Christian Romans. The Christian ones are unique in that they spend much more time talking about the obligations of the party with more power. The writer of Ephesians is much more concerned that the people with power use it wisely and kindly than he is in making sure that women know exactly what it means to obey. And then there's the sentence at the very beginning that frames the entire passage. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. The writer starts the whole thing with a sentence that undercuts the entire argument he's making. Women should be subject to men, slaves should be subject to masters, but really the frame for the whole instruction is that Christ is in charge, not any human person, so we should be subject to one another. Deference and consideration should be mutual. I want to be clear, I'm not trying to minimize the destructiveness of this passage. This chapter actually contains the verses that Christian slaveholders in the United States used to justify their behavior. And the idea that women should defer to their husbands is still official doctrine in some Christian denominations, was what I was taught as a child. But then I also had a mother and a grandmother. But what I am saying is that this text and all New Testament texts that suggest the subordination of women were written at a time when Christian leaders were trying to figure out how to help their communities survive in a hostile culture. We can surely disagree with how they did it, 
but we should read these texts with an eye for the way that they undermine the very inequality that they seem to set up. The text sets up a hierarchy, but it's a hierarchy that contains the seeds of its own destruction. Men are given the power in this text, but they're told to use the po their power as Jesus did. And Jesus, as Philippians tells us, did not see power as something to be grasped, as something to be held onto. Instead, he let it go, choosing humility, mutuality, and genuine partnership. These texts contain a challenge to us. Most of us don't struggle to believe that all genders are equal. However, all of us, at one time or another, failed to follow the model of humility, deference, and mutual respect that Jesus set out for us. When we're in a position of power, maybe because of our gender, maybe our race, maybe our financial status, we can choose to use that power as Jesus did, not as something to be held on to, but as something to be let go so that we can be of service to others. We can be aware of the hierarchies that our culture sets up, and like the early Christians, like the writer of Ephesians, undermine them in the name of Jesus. And when we're on the other side of the table, when we're in the less powerful position, we can refuse to give up the dignity and self-respect accorded to us as children of God. We can choose to act out of a sense of strength exercised in love rather than subservience. The early church got it. Their relationships were characterized by an equality, by a mutual respect and a mutual sharing of power that it was so radical that it threatened the Roman Empire. May we imitate them, living with a love that undermines every hierarchy, seeing power not as something to be sought and clung to, but as something to be given away in service of others. Amen. <laughs>